The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, S&P 500 Index, trading at a record. The S&P also heading for its fifth monthly gain after data showing the U.S. economy grew slower than forecast last quarter. That gave the Federal Reserve no reason to accelerate its timetable for higher interest rates. Earnings from Alphabet also boosting Technology shares, that's the parent of Google, up now by 3.5%. Mixed picture for equities, S&P up 6 to 21.76. Again, there are three-tenths of 1%. The Dow lower, little change. Dow Industrials down three points now. NASDAQ up 12, a gain of two-tenths of 1%. Gold up 1.5%, rallying 19.50 the ounce to 13.51. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate up 35 cents a barrel, 41.49, a gain there of nine-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. It's time now for the ETF report. It's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Let's go to Catherine Cowdery for the Exchange Traded Funds Report. Millennials are doubling down on ETFs. That's the word from Heather Fisher, vice president of ETF platform at Charles Schwab. She outlined some of the findings about millennials from the Schwab ETF investor study. They are twice as likely to increase their investments in ETFs in the next year as other demographics, twice as likely to consider ETFs instead of stocks, and twice as likely to consider replacing bonds in their portfolios with ETFs. And I'd say that 70% versus 34% of the rest of investors view ETFs as the core investment type in their future portfolios. Fisher says millennials may be comfortable with using ETFs as their core portfolio holdings, in part because they've grown up knowing about them. ETFs were launched over 20 years ago. Among the top reasons that millennials cite for using ETFs, according to the survey, because they provide access to several asset classes, broadening investing horizons. They also cited the ease of intraday trading and ETFs tax efficiency. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. All right, I'm actually uh, filling in for Kathleen Hayes. Matt Miller here with Pim Fox. And we're going to bring in Bill Fitzpatrick right now, Global Equity Analyst at Manulife Asset Management, uh, to talk about the Bank of Japan and international equities. And, Bill, let me start with the BOJ because it's, I think, such an exciting story. Um, but they kind of disappointed markets today. They didn't lower interest rates, though, into further uh, negative territory. Does that mean that they get – Negative rates are bad for banks? Uh, yes, I think they finally figured that out. And the good news is that other policymakers around the globe, I think, are on the same page. Draghi, too? So, 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, Draghi has sent a very clear message that bank equity prices matter. Uh, I think you're unlikely to see them go further negative in Europe. And, in fact, whatever policymaker moves you see, I think there's going to be a notion to protect the, uh, the bank stocks. And I think that's, that has to happen in Europe only because uh, the whole economy is financed by the banks. They don't have a very deep capital markets. So I think that message is, is, uh, is finally coming through. I think that's very encouraging. Bill, I wonder if you could describe for people in your in your in your mind what are the problems in European Union banks? Uh, well, there are there are several. Uh, the first problem is that you're just in a low growth economy, uh, so you're not seeing a lot of loan growth. It's very difficult for them to grow the loan book. Uh, the second component, which I think is probably most pressing today, is that we never really got the bad assets off the balance sheets. So if you think back to the TARP here in the U.S., that was done all the way back in 2008, 2009. We cleansed the balance sheets and were able to get the, the banking environment uh, operating smoothly right away. We never really did that here. Now, a few countries did. They did it in Spain. Uh, they've done it in Ireland. Uh, not to say that they're growing dramatically, but uh, they did a nice job there to clean up the balance sheets. But we still haven't done that in Italy. Uh, that's the biggest overhang today. And until we can address that problem, I think you're going to see the, the bank stocks are, are probably going to be stagnant. Does this mean that you'd be willing to take on more risk outside of bank stocks? Well, I think generally speaking, uh, there's a lot of value. There's certainly a lot of value in the banking system in Europe and Japan. And I think once we get this uh, this issue addressed in Italy, which will likely be in the next couple of days only because we get the stress tests out today. Uh, but generally speaking, there is just plain better value in Europe and Japan than there is in the United States. Uh, there's a few of the, the more stable areas like healthcare and consumer staples where you're seeing uh, relatively lofty valuations. But any of the more cyclical areas have sold off dramatically, and I think there are a lot of good opportunities there. I just uh, wanted to bring our listeners a headline just crossing the Bloomberg Terminal. The Italian Treasury is saying that no public backstop is needed for Montepaschi, and we know that, of course, uh, Montepaschi is going to try and raise money here, uh, an additional $5 billion and get rid of its bad loans, as we've been talking about for the uh, past couple of hours, uh, past hour, I should say. Um, I wonder, who would want to buy stock in an Italian bank? I mean, isn't it just a losing investment well, it, it's certainly for the uh, deeper value and deeper value-oriented investor, uh, someone who who just seems to navigate in the distressed areas of the marketplace. Uh, but I have to say, just seeing look at the headline now, this is very encouraging that there is private capital available. So you have to assume uh, that this money is coming from folks who have uh, who have really scoured the balance sheets of these different banks. Uh, they're getting very favorable terms. I'm sure we haven't seen exactly what kind of a discount they're getting. It's going to be massively dilutive to existing shareholders. So uh, this outside money is going to come in in very favorable terms. Uh, but I think there's an effort to say, hey, you know, we think the balance sheets collectively in Italy are going to be cleansed. And if, if that's the case, now there's about a 30 or 40 billion euro shortfall collectively in Italy. Uh, but if there are efforts to address those in unison, then uh, there may be some value in this particular Italian bank. We, we are seeing um, in the news that J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, uh, Citi, uh, Bank America, they're all going to get together with a bunch of European banks as well to uh, to underwrite this share sale. So it looks like those banks at least believe that they can do it. Bank, uh, 
Banca Monte de Pasha de Siena, I want to remind listeners, was bailed out twice already since um, since 2009. But if we get past this issue, uh, does that make the EU stronger and a better place to invest? Oh, I think so. I think this goes a long way. Like I said, there are other areas that have already removed some of the bad assets. Uh, that's not to say there aren't a few more bad apples out there that will need to be addressed. Uh, but what we'd really like to see is move from a balance sheet concern uh, to an income statement. And if we can get beyond the balance sheet and say, okay, the income statement is still weak. Uh, we know that interest rates are so low, uh, the margins are down, that's going to be a weight. But if there's a comfort in the balance sheets, then there's really no reason for these bank stocks to trade at half their book value. So I think there are real good opportunities for uh, value investors there. Well, let me just challenge you a little bit here because I note that you're describing uh, the European Banking Authority is due to give its uh, stress test results for 2016. That will take place at 10 p.m. Central European time. That's uh, just in about uh, six minutes from now. And uh, there's another study that is done uh, from uh, New York University that says that the European banks such as HSBC, Deutsche Bank, uh, Unicredit, that they're going to need to raise $280 billion in capital in order to meet the same standards that have been specified by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Uh, do you concur that they're going to need that much money? Well, I don't know exactly the terms of the, the scenario that would require a capital raise of that magnitude, uh, but I suspect that's uh, an Armageddon end-of-the-world scenario uh, that would trigger such a, a, a capital needs uh, to that degree. Uh, so, you know, again, I haven't seen the survey in great detail, so uh, technically that may be true. You know, but I think we'd have to see just a, a, a very a massive uh, recession to trigger conditions like that, and I, I just think that's that's unlikely today. So Europe's largest banks, they've gotten rid of about 35% of their market value. That's declined uh, since uh, the, as of June the 30th. And um, their uh, average ratio of market value to book value was like 70%. Is, is, that's got to be concerning for, for the bank's managements. Well, that's certainly that's a message that the marketplace isn't very comfortable with with what resides on the balance sheet, and it's also a reflection of the returns. So the book you really can't talk about the book value without talking about the return on equity, uh, and for most of these banks, you're still seeing high single digit ROEs. But from a valuation perspective, you can get that up to ten, which is uh, certainly nothing spectacular. It's just ahead of your cost of equity. Uh, then I think you're probably going to look for valuations should push closer to book value. So if you go from seven-tenths of book value, as you say, uh, toward book value or maybe just a slight premium, you're talking about a 50% gain that is available. So, And we think if the balance sheets are good, uh, and we are seeing from the earnings releases that have come out thus far, credit quality has improved, uh, you know, then there's no reason why, why we can't get closer to that 10% ROE. And you also have nice downside protection if you think the balance sheets are good. So. Reasonable downside protection and, and very good upside. I, I think that's uh, that's an area where investors should look to find some gains. Thank you very much, sir, for joining us. Uh, Bill Fitzpatrick is Global Equity Analyst at Manulife Asset Management, looking for some value and some bargains, perhaps, in European banking shares. I'm Pim Fox. My co-host today, Matt Miller, filling in for Kathleen Hayes. We're going to take you through to the close and also get you details about the European Banking Authority and its stress tests. They'll be released at the market close, 4 p.m. Wall Street time, 
This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.